you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Amen. Church, please turn your eyes to the screen for the reading this morning. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Everyone, great to see you. That, that is on. Um, I'd love to pray, and as we come to that beginning of this wonderful book of Joshua, before I do though, I, I don't know how you've been, how you've been going this week. Um, if you're new, you're visiting as, as a church, this is a week where every year pretty much we want to heighten our focus on God and our dependence on God in, in prayer and in fasting, individually and as a staff team, as leaders. And I hope this week you've been able to, to pray Perhaps you've been able to fast. I hope this week that you have sensed God um, working in your heart and as you've brought the needs of our church before Him, that you, you know that He's listening and He's answering. Um, I certainly have. We had the uh, pastor's retreat and as Lexi said, it was, it was, it was intense. Uh, we had long periods in prayer and in fasting and in seeking God and I'm really excited by what God, I think, has really revealed by Spirit for us this year as we press in to following Him. And I'm not going to tell you a thing about it this morning, sorry. Uh, tomorrow night is the prayer night. And during that prayer night, um, 
I can't wait to be able to share with you, uh, seven o'clock here in the church, share with you what we really feel uh, God is, is stirring up our church. I'm really excited by the goals that we have, and we're going to pray for those goals. We're going to get to share them with you, and I really encourage you, come along, because um, We'll pray together, we'll worship God, and then afterwards we're going to join together with a meal. For those of us who are able to fast um, tomorrow as the final fast day, we'll, we'll break that fast with a meal together in the evening. And, and I would, you'll see it in the news, but if you are able to come, bring a, a plate. Uh, Danny used to say in the country town where she grew, it was ladies bring a plate. I won't say ladies bring a plate. Pete, bring a plate <laughs> or something, and we'll share together. We'll provide um, uh, the meat, but let's... Look forward to what God's got for us in 2023 as we keep praying, we keep focusing on Him together. And we can do that today, but also tomorrow night. But let's pray now. Father, as we come to you this morning, we ask that uh, your word would be like a sword, sharp, uh, dividing our hearts, opening up our hearts to receive the softness, the goodness, the, the nourishment we need from you. So Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of my heart and all of our hearts now be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. All right, well, imagine the scene. You've got a sense of it from the trailer, but you can imagine a little bit of a different thing. You can see the warrior looking across the river. Uh, you can see the breeze ruffling his hair, accentuating his handsome features. Uh, looking down at bulging biceps and, and glittering armor, he prepares to draw his sword and, and then to advance into the hostile territory to win himself everlasting glory in human history. That's kind of how Hollywood would portray the book of Joshua, perhaps. It's an exciting book. And there'd be some truth in that portrayal. But this morning, we don't come to a great story or the beginning of a wonderful story, although it is, we come to the Word of God. And God's word is for you. Uh, this word we look at today was, <laughs> occurred somewhere between 1,200 and 1,400 years before Jesus was born. It happened in a country far, far away, not in a different galaxy, but in a, in a place far, far away. But this is God's word for you and for me and for our church. Listen to how the Apostle Paul put it in his letter to the Romans. He said, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Do you need hope? Do you need the encouragement of the Scriptures? I do, and I think you do too. And this morning, we're going to, we're going to get those things as we turn to God's Word and we begin this book of Joshua. And as we do, and I, I'm sorry to do this to you two weeks in a row, I got five points and they all start with, P. I'm so sorry. Um, and I'm not even original enough. I think the first two are the same P points I had last week. If you were here, I'm really sorry. But I tried. We got five Ps. And the first one, as it was last week, is P for problem. Problem. Because that's what the book of Joshua starts with. Listen, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. That's a problem. And it's hard for us, perhaps, to grasp the significance of the problem because we haven't been, for the last 40 years, 
dependent on one extraordinary leader called Moses. But the people of Israel, for 40 years, Moses has always been there. And they have ridden the highs and the lows of coming out of slavery in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, um, Moses receiving the law from God, giving it to the people, the golden calf and all the mess that that was. And then 40 years in the wilderness, Moses is the one constant in many ways, human constant. Now Moses is dead. And the task that he was given by God is uncompleted. The great leader is gone and the task as you stand on that river and look over it uh, is just about to begin because on the other side of the Jordan River, which at the moment is in flood, it's impassable, on the other side of the Jordan River is the Canaanite people. Now the Canaanite people, I was going to say they're a little bit like the Dutch, but that, if you are Dutch, get where I'm going, you're really tall. Like the Canaanite people are tall and they are physically imposing. They are militarily and technologically more advanced. Their armies are better trained. They are more numerically um, plentiful. They're in defended, fortified cities. And you stand looking across the Jordan River and your leader is dead. And the task is only about to begin. That's a significant problem. So we begin with the first P, which is a problem. And as I shared last week, we are not unfamiliar with problems. If we think of, of uh, the situation of our world, there are many problems. There are problems geopolitically in Ukraine, there are wars, there are bloodshed, there are problems uh, spiritually. We live in Australia in a world, in, in a time when it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian, when there is pushback, where the culture is no longer um, blithely sympathetic and tolerant towards Christianity, where the culture is actually pushing back harder and harder. We know that. We experience it. There are problems not only with the culture, there's problems in the church. Where's the Whitfields and the Wesleys? Where's Billy Graham? Where's, where's Mother Teresa? They're dead. It can feel like we, we lack leadership going in, into a world, and there's so much division within the church, and there's weaknesses, there, there's problems everywhere, and there's problems in your life. So we begin with P. It's a significant problem for Joshua, becoming the, the new leader, and a significant problem for, for us today. First P. Second P, not problems, second P is the person the person of God. And we find the person of God right at the beginning. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. We, we meet at the very beginning of Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua, the man for whom, humanly speaking, the book is called Joshua. He's going to be God's person to confront the problems that they face. And we've met Joshua before. Exodus chapter 17, way back 40 years, you, you know, you dial back 40 years, and there is a major battle as Israel is coming out of Egypt against the forces of Amalek. First time we meet Joshua is Moses said, all right, you go and command the armies, which he does. After that, um, Joshua becomes Moses' assistant. He's, he's said to be a young man at that time. Um, he's got the privilege of going up with Moses halfway up Mount, the Mount of Sinai. He's the only one that goes with Moses. Uh, he's the one that come back. Remember, they come back from Mount Sinai and, um, and Joshua goes, 
I think there's a war in the camp. And Moses goes, that's not a war, that's a party. And that's when they come back and the golden calf, uh, Joshua's there. Joshua's the one who goes into the tent of meeting with Moses, the place where, where God meets with his people. And then when Moses leaves, Joshua, it's, we're told, stays in the tent. He's a man who's been privileged to encounter God. And he's been a man who's been privileged to, to be under the leadership of Moses and to learn from him. So it's not a surprise in one sense that um, Joshua is one of the spies that's sent into the land, one of only two who gives a good report 40 years before. And in Numbers chapter 27, God tells Moses, Moses says, who's going to, if I can't go in the promised land, who's going to lead this people? And Joshua and, and Moses, sorry, God tells Moses this, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Pass the leadership on to him. So Joshua is God's man to step into the sandals of Moses to confront the very big problems that the people of Israel faced in that moment. He is God's person. Now, how do you think he felt? Well, Hollywood, he, he's not worried. He's, just, he's got that bulging bicep. He doesn't have to worry about anything else. He's got the sharp sword. How do you think he felt, though? Did, did he feel like supremely confident? Did he feel like, I got this, I got it. You know, did he feel like, come on, like, hooah, it's an American moment, you know, like, let's go. You know, is that how he felt? Um, sorry, if you're American. Uh, we, we don't know. Uh, we can't tell. Did he feel that kind of curious sense of excitement that we get when we're asked to do something new and dangerous? You know, that ex- curious sense of excitement that is kind of verges into outright terror and sort of pants wetting kind of, ah, did he get that? We don't know, but I think he did. I think he was in danger of being terrified, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. Verse 18, be strong and courageous. Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Deuteronomy 31, 23, be strong and courageous. Why do you think all those times Joshua has to be told to be strong and courageous? Might it be because he was in danger of being the opposite to being strong and courageous? What's the opposite to strong? Weak. Courageous, what's the opposite? Frightened. Was he in danger of being weak and frightened? Was he being in danger of being dismayed and discouraged? I think he was. And isn't that very comforting? as we begin the book of Joshua. We haven't got a superhuman hero here. We haven't got the Hollywood um, Marvel, not Hollywood, I, my boys tell me don't talk about Marvel, Dad, you don't know about it, <laughs> and you'll just make a fool of yourself. You'll say Superman's Marvel, like I did once. So I won't talk about that. Uh, the Hollywood superhero who is fearless and always knows what to do, is that Joshua? No. I don't think it is Joshua, and it's so comforting. Um, you will know if God puts on your heart to do something, I suspect you will know what it is to feel afraid. Uh, I vividly remember 10 years ago 
Uh, we were driving back from New South Wales. We'd felt God was calling us to move to Geelong to plant a church, and we'd wrestled with the excitement of that and, and, with the, and all of the mechanics and the pragmatics that had to go in it. And, and, um, and then we were finally in the Tarago, heading back uh, through New South Wales. We were almost at Victoria, and, and the kids were, and Dan and I think were happily wiggling along, whatever it was, some sort of kids um, thing on, on the, the car radio. And I was just thinking, oh, this is it. Uh, what am I doing? How did I get sucked into this? Like, where are we going to meet? Who's going to meet? How are we going to pay the bills? And we're sitting there, and I remember vividly, the car's cruising along at 110 on those open highways, and I just put my head on the steering wheel in that moment and went like, ah, just like that. You remember that? No, you don't. I do. <laughs> She's blocked it out in one of those. Uh, but uh, for that moment, the attention went off the wiggles, I think, and like, Get your hands back on the wheel, you know, like, but in that moment, I was just terrified, and, and you'll know it. It may be that moment that you're in the workplace, or that you're in your family, or that you might be in the street, and you feel the Holy Spirit going, you need to speak to that person about Jesus, and you go, no, I don't need to speak to that person about Jesus. You do it. You know, like, you, you, you just, why, why are you talking to me? And, and at least for me, I think there are some of us who are superhuman in that way. You know, we just don't seem to feel fear, but I think we're few and far between. For most of us, the very thought of talking to someone about Jesus in our workplace and crossing that boundary from the nice banality of, of normal existence and life and things, it's frightening. What if they reject me? You know, what if they, what if they you know, that's, that's the small things. But we often feel that fear. And we often feel that discouragement. And I think it's encouraging to know that Joshua did too. All right. Now, we looked at um, the problem. We looked at the person. Now, we're going to look at the third thing, the third P. Because I'm not Joshua and neither are you, right? Actually, no, 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 before we, we, we move on, I want to accentuate this. You're God's person. You're God's person. Now, you're not Joshua, but you are God's person. Did you know that? Every one of you. Um, each one of us, we have a mission from God. We, we have a task given to us by God. And the big task is very clear. Jesus gives us Matthew 28. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's a task given to each of us by God. That's the big task. But do you know that you are God's person in the small components of that task? We read in the New Testament that every single one of you, every single one of us is given spiritual gifts by God for the accomplishment of that task. Every single one of you. And you go, I'm too old. No, you're not. I'm too young. No, you're not. Every single one of us has a gift from God. We have a mission to do. You are God's person. And whether it's in the workplace or the home, you are God's person, just like Joshua. You are God's person, and God wants to work through you. And if you feel terrified, and if you feel afraid, and if you feel small, and if you feel weak, well, then that's good, actually. Because you might be just small enough that God can really use you. Yeah, it's been said that many people are too big for God to use. No one's too small. Because when we're small, we realize that, that the, 
that the, the, all that we have comes from God and that he uses our weaknesses and our frailties and our fear and our discouragement, he uses that to pour in his mighty strength to do something that we could never have done. God loves to use insignificant people who go like, I don't think I'm God's person. You are. You are God's person. And, and actually, you and I all need the same thing as God's person that Joshua did. We need encouragement. You know, that first scripture I read from Romans, we need hope. We need encouragement. We need, we need to be urged on, uh, which is, uh, I think, one of the questions you go, well, why do we come to church? Um, Lexi was talking about it as we began. You know, why are we coming here? Is it because we're coming, okay, at the end of the service, you're going to get hand, and how was the music? Critique, one out of ten. You know, how was the preaching? You know, and, and your job is to critique it, and at the end, you feel really like, yeah, I've come to church. I've critiqued it really well. That's great. I've given it a good, solid review. Um, or you might say, no, no, you know, my job is to be fed. So after the service, I'm going to go straight into those bickies. No, no, you're going to, you're going to mean, I want to be fed spiritually. That's why I come to church. I need to be, I need information. This is like a lecture. Give me the information. And you might say, no, 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 no. I just come, I want to catch up with some friends and I I want to just have a chat about the week. And and those are good things, right? All of those things happen in the life of the church. But let me tell you something. That's not why you should come. That is not why you should come. Those things are tangential. The, the, The actual core reason of why you come, well, Hebrews chapter 10, 25, it says this. It says, and let us consider... How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hear that? You and I need to be encouraged. We need to be stirred up to love and good works. So when you come to the service on Sunday, you go to the gospel community during the week, you're not here trying to critique everything and make sure, you know, think, oh, the other church, you know, whatever. You're coming to encourage one another and be encouraged, right? That's one of the, yes, we are worshiping God, and God says, as you worship me, you're going to be encouraged because you are going to be in danger of being discouraged. You're going to be, you need to be stirred up to love and good works because you're in danger of not loving and not doing good works. You come and encourage one another. So when you come to church, and I hope you came this morning in that way, I sometimes don't, but I know we should, come thinking, how can I encourage, who can I encourage this morning? Who can I speak to and encourage? How was your week? It was tough. Hang in there. God's with you. Who, who can I encourage? And, and in the process, how am I going to be encouraged? That's why it matters to come together. It matters. And if you're, if you're visiting and, um, and I actually chatted with someone, so I'll look for and away. And, and you're checking out churches as you go. That's really good. You move to the city of Geelong, whatever. You, you feel like this is the year to maybe to, to really check. That's really good. Just connect somewhere. If it's not here, find somewhere where you can encourage and be encouraged and commit to it. All right. For, that's the second thing. So, so I got ahead of myself. So there's the problem. That's God's person. And now the third P God's promises. God's promises. This is a book that's not just about Joshua. Joshua is a key human figure, but this is about God who keeps his promises. Do you notice that? Promises that were made to Moses 40 years ago. Look at uh, verse 2. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, 
I have given to you, listen, just as I promised to Moses. God says, what's about to happen is because I promised it. And now I'm doing what I said I would do. But it wasn't just 40 years ago. You've got to wind the clock back a lot further than 40 years. You've got to go almost 500 years ago. Genesis chapter 17, verse 8. God is speaking to Abraham, remember? You know, he speaks to Abraham, this man who, who was in Ur of the Chaldees. He was a, a, and he comes to him and he says this, Abraham, I will give to you and to your offspring, Genesis 17, 8, after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I'll be their God. 500 years ago, God told Abraham, this land of Canaan where you are now, one day I'll give it to you. Oh, your descendants ever up, I'll give this land to you. And now in Joshua chapter one, verse one, God says, they're on the brink of the Canaan River. This is not about Joshua, the great soldier. God says, now I'm gonna do what I said I would do. I will keep my promises. This is about a God who will do what he says he will do, always. It's about the promises of God. And I, this morning, let me ask, what promises have you and I, as the New Testament people of God, been given by God? What promises? Well, if you, if you want me to list them for you, we're going to be here for a long, long time. Because the Bible is full of the promises of God. The promises of God for you and for me. I thought, okay, what are a couple of promises? Number one, promises to the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I will build my church, Jesus says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Promise. Jesus says, I'll build this community of the church. I will do it and nothing will stop it. Promises given, okay, to the Jews. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Listen to this. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Promise. As it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Promises to the Jewish people. Promises to you as an individual believer. Listen to this, John chapter 6, 39. Jesus says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Promise. Revelation 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Promise. Do you hear those promises, people? Do you hear the promises of God? Have they all been fulfilled? No, not yet. That's what a promise is. A promise is something that is to come. When you promise your kid an ice cream, you're saying that an ice cream is coming. God keeps his promises. They're not yet being fulfilled, but they will be, every single one of them. So the problem, the person of God, the promises of God, 
And now this is a sweet one. This is a really sweet one. Verse 9, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This one, verse 5, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. The presence of God. Joshua is not told to trust in his own strength and his military prowess and his training and his experience. Not even in the promises themselves, in one sense. God says, I'm with you. Look out over there and all the problems and challenges, I'm with you. My presence is with you. That must have been incredibly sweet comfort to him. It's a sweet comfort to us, isn't it, when Jesus gives his mission in Matthew 28 and then at the end, the last words of the book of Matthew, and Jesus said, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As Joshua looked across the, the river, he must have gone, oh boy, these are big, big challenges and problems. And as we often in our lives, in our church, we, we look forward and we look across the river and we see big problems. But they're not big to God. Uh, this week during the pastor's retreat, I was, I was outside and I was meant to be praying and I was looking at the chip bark at my feet and I was, my mind was wandering a little bit. And, uh, and I saw this ant. And this ant was um, doing what ants do. Like, I actually didn't see the ant. All I saw was this long, thin thing moving through the chip bark. And I was like, what is moving that? And I realized it was, it was some little kid's bit of vegetable from his play lunch or her play lunch. And, and this little ant, it must have been a hundred times the size of him, I reckon. Maybe that's an exaggeration. But, but he, he was like... I could see this thing moving and underneath it there was this tiny little ant and he'd be walking and every now and again he'd like collapse and this thing would fall on him and I was like, I was thinking, oh man, that poor ant, I wish I could help it because that must be really hard but I don't know where it's going but I thought I could help it, I could reach down with my little finger and lift that ant and its enormous burden and I, I wouldn't even notice it unless it bit me, um, I, I would just have no idea that I had the ant and the thing there. It's, the ant's big problem to the ant, it's pretty insignificant to me that problem. And in the same way it is with God. You, you know, we look at our problems and they seem so heavy and so crushing and, oh, the church problem and the world problem and all these things. They're insignificant to God. They're pathetically insignificant because the God of the universe who created heaven and earth says, I'm with you always. See, see all those big people over there, Joshua, with their sharp swords? I'm with you. Do you think they worry me? They're insignificant, pathetically insignificant. I created the universe. Do you think I'm, a, think I'm intimidated by those little things that you face? No. That's why the scripture says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is, no one. If God's for you, then whatever problem or people that oppose you, they're insignificant. They're pathetically insignificant. We can trust God. So in the book of Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews picks up this exact verse from Joshua and he says this and he, he makes it very practical. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 6, he says, keep your life free from the love of money. That's how he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Nothing. So we've got there the the problem, God's person, the promises of God, the the presence of God. Now finally, and actually most significantly, and you'll see why, the fifth P. And I want to give a, a caveat at this and final P, because what does Joshua need most of all, as God tells him, be strong and courageous. He's going to need strength in battle, isn't he? He's going to need military insight. He's going to need leadership ability to get these people and administrative ability. He's going to need all of these things. But what does he need most? There's one thing he needs more than anything else. And actually, the, the, the text of chapter 1 of Joshua makes it very clear. Uh, in the original Hebrew, it's very clear what the most important thing is in this chapter. In English, it's a bit harder to see. But listen again to verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So is the focus of be strong and courageous, this battle that Joshua is about to fight? No, it's not actually. It's true he's going to need to be strong and courageous, but the focus actually is the prescription, the final P, the prescription for life. Anyway, Andrew, the prescription, it's the Word of God. How did you get to prescription? Well, I've actually, I'm going to defend my choice of this P just briefly because I know prescription sounds like a long bow, but the word in Hebrew is Torah, the law. And we sometimes think that Torah is just don't do this, do that, don't do this, do that. The Hebrew people then and now, they didn't think of the Torah as a list of do's and don'ts. It was the instruction, the teaching to the people. It was, you want to flourish, you want to have a good life. This is the prescription, like going to the doctor and saying, um, look, I want to flourish physically, and the doctor writes you out a prescription, and it might be for a, a medication, or it might be just do more exercise and eat less meat. That's, that's the one I got recently. You know, <laughs> that, it's saying, you, you, want to, you want to do that, you're going to have a good life. Well, that's the prescription. And in, this, in some ways, the Word of God is the prescription of God. It's, it's a prescription for your life. You need to, that's why God, God says, Joshua, you've got to meditate on it. The, the Word of God has got to guide you and direct you. D- don't go left or right from the Word of God. Find what the Word of God is and then stick straight, plow a straight furrow. Not that way, not that way. The Word of God has to guide everything that you do. Don't let it get away from you. Be strong and courageous in following the Word of life. Now, do you and I need to be strong and courageous? In following the word of God, did Joshua need to be? He certainly did. Because remember, 40 years before, he'd stood in that same spot. 40 years before, you remember what happened? Joshua came back as one of the spies. He says, it's a good land. Let's go. The Lord's promised it to it. Let's go. Come on, come on. And people are like, no, we're not going. It's, it, it's, they're too big. It's too dangerous. It's too hard. And just, no, listen to the promise. See, he's been here before. And he's seen the tragedy that unfolded when people did not hold to the word of God. It takes courage. 
You have to be strong to hold to the word, word of God. And just as it was for Joshua, it's for you and me too. It is hard to hold to the word of God. It's difficult. It always has been. And it's nowhere. It's, it's more difficult, if anything, than ever it has been before to hold to the word of God. You know, you want to, I could list a long list. Here's a few. Gender. So the world today will say that men and women are identical aside from a few minor plumbing differences. Otherwise, you're exactly the same. No difference at all. The Bible would say men and women are created in the image of God. They're fundamentally equal, fundamentally loved, but they are not identical. Men and women are different, the Bible says. In marriage, a man will leave his father and mother, join to his wife, the two will become. God created the male and female. They come together in marriage. They're not identical in function. There is a difference. There's a difference in gender. And the, and the Bible teaches, well, there's a difference in gender, how we relate in marriage, and how we relate in the community of God's people. Gender matters. Now, do we stand on the word of God on gender because it's going to make us popular? Because we go, oh, well, I love this church's teaching on gender. It's so attractive to me. I'm in the, in the world. This is, this is what I get at university. This is what the media tells me. I'm going to come to this church. It's going to tell me exactly what I want to hear. No, it won't. The word of God, it takes courage. Let me tell you how difficult it is to stand on the word of God on this question of gender. And, and Christians can differ. There can be, you know, it's not a salvation issue in, in how we outwork all the details of it, but the question's got to be, whatever your view on gender is as a Christian, where did that come from? Was it your instinctive view that you thought was right? And then you've got to ask, what's my instinctive view come from? Does it come from what everyone else says and does in the world today? Or does it come from my reading and meditating and putting my trust in the Word of God? Very important question to ask. Gender is, is something where standing true on the Word of God will make you unpopular, and that's just the beginning. Think about sexuality. Now, I know we've got the kids in here, so I'll speak in more generic terms, but in the Bible, it talks about uh, men and women using their God-given sexuality in ways that are clearly condemned by God. And let's start with what the Bible calls fornication, which is heterosexual engagement outside marriage. Now, you say to the world, the Bible, the Word of God condemns that behavior. It says that no one who is an unrepentant fornicator will enter the kingdom of God. Do you hear that? You sleep with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, this is no small thing. You are risking and you are under the judgment of God. That's what the word of God says. Tell me that it doesn't say that. It does. But you say that to the world. You're kidding. You have that outdated morality? Oh, that's so stupid. No one does that anymore. Everyone's discarded that. Do you see, see the pressure? And it's not just heterosexual. It's same-sex relationships. The Bible's absolutely clear on those. Absolutely clear. The church has always seen it unanimously until the last 20 or 30 years. Why? Because the world has changed. And suddenly, same sex, oh, that's all good. God's in favor of that. That's a good thing. No, it's not. It's never a good thing to call good what the Bible calls sin. That's heresy, right? Disobedience of God's word, outright disobedience of God's word. But my point is, is it, is it easy to stand on that truth? 50 years ago, absolutely. Everyone in society goes, yeah, good on you. We all think the same thing. Now the world has changed. And is it hard to stand? Do you need, do you need to be bold and courageous to stand on? Yes, you do. Of course you do. The pressure is overwhelming. Remember last year? 
Remember the, the news furor around the Andrew Thorburn thing? Do you remember all that stuff? It's easy for me and maybe you to think, oh, that was all gone now. No, it's not. That was a shot across the bows. It's going to still be harder and harder to stand on the truth of God's Word. You've got to be bold and courageous. It's difficult. And it's not just that. I mean, think about we live in, apparently in Australia, the richest society on earth. And the Bible clearly talks about being generous with our finances. The Old Testament speaks about a 10% rule, a 10% of all your income going to the work of God. The New Testament says, let's ditch the 10%, but be more generous. Give as you're able. Maybe it's 20% or 30% to the gods. And, we get, and people in the world go, what? You give 10%? But you need that money for you. What about the real estate? Um, what about the, the mortgage? That's going to cut down your... You, you need the money for you. you you're mad to give you... Do you, does it take courage to stand on the word of God and reach down into your hip pocket and take your wallet out? Oh, it does. That's where it gets practical. You say, oh, yeah, I I've, I've live on the word of God. Ask yourself how it relates to your hip pocket. That's always a good indication. There are many other areas I could talk about. It's, I'll share one with you. When I was at Bible college, and I'd love to say this was a thing I'd never do now, I'm not so sure. Uh, I got an invitation to uh, dine with the president of a very prestigious Melbourne University college. We, we happened to go to the same university together, and I bumped into him and he invited me for lunch, and it was old school lunch. In fact, I think it was probably the only lunch I've had like this. There was a maid, and we, we ate in the private dining room, and the food was exceptional, um, and we were just eating in this private dining room in this really old Melbourne University building, and the conversation's really good, and, uh, and he's talking about, oh, yeah, and, and you're leaving your former career, and you're going into ministry, and he, said, and he says, oh, that's really good. I'm glad, you, glad you're doing that, and you'll be able to help people, and it's good to see young men going into the ministry. And, and, and then he said, but you don't really believe that you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven. And it was this sudden, like, <laughs> Oh, this is a nice conversation, and now suddenly here I am. Now, what does the Word of God say about that? Well, I didn't, I didn't need to think very deeply because I knew exactly what it said. There's no name under heaven given to us by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me, and I could go on and on. And suddenly I'm in this moment, and, and I know what he's saying. He says, oh, yeah, the Word of God says that, but you're enlightened. You know, you've been educated. You, you know that there's truth and salvation in other religions. You don't need to stand on that. Other people might, but you won't. And, and then I'm seeing this, yeah, that's right. And I find myself nodding away. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And uh, what's the weather doing next week? And then off we go i never forget afterwards sitting on the steps of the university college with a really full, satisfied stomach and a broken soul. I, don't, I can't remember if I cried, but inside I was thinking like, I'm sitting with you right now, Peter. I've denied the name of Jesus. I knew what the Word of God said and I fudged it and I caved. It takes courage. And I think the truth is we've all fudged it. Maybe not as bad as that but we've all fudged on the Word of God because the pressure around us is intense. We need to be strong and courageous, not just going into the, as God's people to the places where we're called to go, but strong and courageous that we stand on God's Word because here we stand, we can do no other. 
And if people cheer us and it says, yeah, preach the word in season, in season because people love it. Yeah, give us more of that. That's amazing. We love that. This is great news, the gospel. It is good news, not just true news, good news. But there is also times out of season when we speak the word of God and the whole counsel of God, not just the nice bits. And people will mock us and they'll hate us and they'll reject us and potentially they will imprison and kill us. You preach it both times. Here we stand. We can do no other, but it's hard. So help us to be bold and strong. Help us to be strong and courageous. And verse 8 says, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Following the word of God is the way to prosperity and success. Not necessarily material prosperity, not necessarily complete physical health, but he who honors God, God will honor. The scripture says, he will honor you. If you stand on his word as an individual, as a person, he will honor you. His promises, he will honor you. You will prosper, you will succeed. And at the final end of the age, it will be seen that you have done what is right and what is good. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and receive the inheritance prepared for you from the beginning of the world. As individuals, if we will honor God, stand on his word, he will honor us. And it's true of churches too, you know? I mean, I shared last week, we got tons of problems. If you're new or visiting us as a church, you're gonna discover that under the hood, there's so many things we could be doing better. There's so many things where we're dropping the ball or we could, there's so many challenges that we face, but I'll tell you this. The flip side of that is look around. Do you see vitality? Do you see young people? Do you see life? Do you see energy? Do you see vision? Do you see mission? Do you see hope? Do you see lives changed? I do, and I think if you look around honestly, you'll see all of those things. And then I say, go around. Go around Geelong. And stand outside of some of those churches and some of those denominations where they knew what the Word of God said and they refused to stand on it and they compromised with the world around it. Where are they now? Many of those are now office blocks or homes or buildings. The churches that were once thriving are dead. God honors those who stand on his word. It's hard, it's difficult. Sometimes we get it wrong, but God will honor those who honor him. And God says to Joshua, here's the charge. Be strong and courageous. There's problems ahead of you. You are God's person, but my presence is with you. My promises will be fulfilled and The prescription I've given you, stand on that. Stand on my word. Stand on my word because, you know what? Not a single promise given to us in God's word will fail. Not one will fall to the ground. So I want you to be encouraged with that this morning. I want you to encourage one another with that truth. I want you to encourage me and the other staff to stand strong on God's word, to be bold and courageous, And I want us to all encourage one another this year as we think about the goals for us as a church that we would be stirred up to love and good deeds in accordance with the word of God. So I'm gonna pray for that now. Musicians are gonna come up. We're gonna close out our time by by worshiping this same God. Let's do that. Father, um, we are weak. We are easily swayed by the world around us. We're intimidated by the giants in the land. We easily lose hope. We look to our own resources and we see how, how 
exhaustible they are, and we are people of little faith. Lord, we are sorry. And we read the book of Joshua, and we see your command to your person, Joshua, in that moment. Be strong and courageous. And Father, we come to you this morning, and we pray that you would strengthen our knees when they knock together in fear. You'd strengthen our hands when they fall nerveless at our sides. That you would give us courage to speak and to speak truth, even when we know that it will be how it will be received. Lord, would you help us to stand on your word? And as we look um, to what you call us to do and the mission that you've given us, Lord, we pray that, that you would indeed have encouraged us by your scripture this morning that we will have been reminded of the hope that we have in you. And that while the battles may be fierce here, the time is coming when those battles will cease. And you'll take us by the hand. And we'll need no more promises. We won't need to be reminded of your presence because we are in your presence at the fulfillment of your promises for all eternity. So until we get there, Lord, would you strengthen our church? Would you strengthen each one of us in it? We need you, Lord. And we love you. And we ask all of these things in the name of your precious son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.